Hey everybody, this is John Whalen, Roach from People Under the Stairs. I myself am a geek in the industry, and you're listening to geeksoftheindustry.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Features, a horror discussion from geeksoftheindustry.com. And now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. I'm your host, my name is Chunky Larry. And following the 2002 release of the Steve Niles graphic novel, Sam Raimi and producing partner Robert Taffer secured the rights to the theatrical adaptation of a small Alaskan town under siege by the threat of a horde of bloodthirsty vampires. Bringing on director David Slade to oversee the project's realization, the exhaustive 33-night shoot led to one of the truest adaptations of its source material, and on October 19, 2007, David Slade's 30 Days of Night was released, modernizing the ancient lore for a new generation of moviegoers. Ah! 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 
board the windows. Try to hide. They're coming. They? Who are they? This week on the show, we begin a brand new theme. And now, granted, anybody listening that has followed the show for however long you followed, I know we're about mid-November, but in light of the Horror Hall of Fame, I just, I, I couldn't. I could not bring myself to podcast, like, for, a, I had to take it like a week or two. Uh, just catch my breath, you know, gain my bearings, and, and just... You know, restart my system, if you will. Uh, recharge, refuel. And uh, I am going to now, for the last couple of weeks of November, really come at you hard with a couple of really fantastic movies. Uh, with a theme that I'm really interested in getting into because it's something in the two years of the show I've never dipped my toe into. Which is interesting because it, it is kind of like the the be-all end-all of horror genres it's the it's the grandfather of the horror genre in my opinion and of course i'm talking about vampires because it is november and in november we have thanksgiving we're talking about vampires so you know your mom's your dad thanksgiving for the month of november the theme will be thanksgiving and for the first film that we're going to be discussing i wanted to talk about something that was a little bit unconventional uh, with its roots in graphic novels. And if I'm going to talk about graphic novels, and I'm going to talk about vampires, and I'm going to talk about, you know, Thanksgiving, I, I felt that the best way to start this off is by bringing somebody back who hasn't been here for a very long time. Um, not since the first iteration of May of the Dead, and it's long overdue to have him back on the show. I'm thrilled and pleased and p as punch to say, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Draper, how you doing, man? Larry, I am delighted to be part of Thanksgiving, the inaugural Thanksgiving. Man. Yeah, you were part of the inaugural May of the Dead, now you're part of the inaugural Thanksgiving. Uh, kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal. There. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit. 
I mean, you know, I I have released some episodes that were kind of spillover from October this month already. Um, but this is this is initially, or you know, in essence, the very first official November episode because those other episodes were were Halloween episodes. That yes, just didn't, of course. Didn't uh, make it because of all of the work with the Horror Hall of Fame. Which, if you guys listening haven't listened to that, go back a couple episodes. It's really worth your time. I'm very proud of it. And, you know, I, I'm, again, super thankful for everybody that was a part of it. But we're gonna, we're gonna switch gears and we're gonna start talking about this film because, again, uh, this is a, a comic initially that became a film and it was an IDW comic, correct? Yeah, it was an IDW comic written by the great Steve McNiven. Uh, what um, other stuff has he written? Uh, well, he's written a bunch of horror-related stuff. Uh, Criminal Macabre was one of his big uh, big books. Uh, some of his stuff has been adapted. I, excuse me, Steve Niles. I said Steve McNiven. Steve McNiven is somebody else. But it's Steve Niles. I always get him confused. Um, he's written a bunch of stuff. He's written uh, uh, Criminal Macabre. Uh, he wrote Simon Dark. He did, some bat- he did a great Batman story called Batman County Line, which a lot of people really, 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 really like. Um, and he's just, he's, he's known for being a, he's known for being a horror, um, graphic novelist, but he's, you know, he's a comic book writer, you know, but horror, it does seem to be more in his mind what he's done. And, you know, uh, I, I, after watching the film, because, uh, just as a, as an aside, this was the very first time that I'd seen this movie. This movie came out in, uh, what was it? 2007. And I've just... I've never had any interest in it. And it's, it's one of the things I like to do whenever I do a theme is I, I like to pepper in movies that I've never seen rather than, you know, Oh, I already have kind of a predisposed opinion on, you know, this movie. So I already know where that, that conversation's going to go. This was, this was a, a brand new movie, like completely for me. So, oh, wow. um, it was kind of interesting because it, it has this, this almost where you feel like you're watching a graphic novel. You know what I mean? In the same vein as like, uh, Sin City, but not as on the nose. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it definitely had that look. Um, you know, for, and, and if they tried to be as true as possible to, to the adaptation. I guess a better, um, uh, uh, comparison would be The Walking Dead. Yeah, probably. Uh, just uh, because you know, uh, Sin City is very much more noir, but it it feels like it's pulled straight from the page. This felt like a comic book, but visually not. Mm. Yeah, it was definitely uh, it, that was the vibe they were going for. I know that they wanted when I heard they were making it. I was you know, uh, and of course we're going back now. What about what year was the film? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Uh, I think the book was two thousand four. I'm not a hundred percent. I'd have to double check the book, but. Um, I was extremely apprehensive. Um, I actually owned a comic book store around that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, anything related to the industry, I was super pumped about because I always looked at it as, well, maybe this will spawn sales. You mm-hmm. know, or this will create some interest in people wanting to read the book. But the books were, you know, just to put the books in perspective for people who don't read comics, the books were well known, but they were not, you know, dramatically popular. Um, the thing that stood out about the books, and which definitely plays into the film, is the the style of the vampires by a great artist uh, called Ben Templesmith, who is a fantastic, fantastic artist. 
um, and they they wanted to model the vampires as much as they could right out of the pages from the book, which was a very cool idea. And one of the things about the vampires in this, but before we get into like actually talking about the movie, the one thing that uh, since you've been away has changed. Obviously, we don't you know well the this up and the, none of that is there anymore. But the way that we usually start this off is by reading the synopsis for the mm-hmm. film that we're going to be discussing. So here is the synopsis for 30 Days of Night. In Barrow, Alaska, 70% of the population of 500 and some dwellers travel on the day of the last sunset. Since the town will stay alone for the next 30 days without sunlight, Sheriff Eben Olson and Deputy Billy Kitka find several uh, cell phones burned on the road. They, then they receive a call from the local caretaker saying that all of his sled dogs have been slaughtered. Later, Eben finds the operator of the cell tower decapitated and arrests a troublemaker, Drifter, and the stranger frightens him by saying, They are coming and the locals will be dead. Soon, Eben discovers that the town is under siege by a gang of bloodthirsty vampires. And with a few survivors... They hide in an empty attic, waiting for the next sunrise. Uh, now, this was written by uh, Claudio Carvalho uh, from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, on IMDb. Um, I, Claudio, <laughs> just just so you know, uh, you don't tell people the entirety of the movie in your synopsis. Yeah, <laughs> synopsis means you should lure people in, and interest them in wanting to, uh, whatever. I I'm sure that you're fucking not gonna care what I say. Hanging out <laughs> in Brazil with all those big booty women, so yeah. uh, I I will just say thanks for your contribution. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for taking the time out for from your sexcapades. To yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, my understanding was when I actually got the graphic novel, which it came out in 2002, it was in 2004, mm-hmm. um, was it was going to, um, I don't, I read, a, I read a lot of comics, obviously, but horror comics in particular, I'm a little bit more particular with. Um, the, the market at that time, you know, that was actually a really, really good time for books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the early 2000s for comics was an amazing time for books. Post-millennium, you had the companies being a little bit more riskier. Uh, you had companies like Marvel having things like Marvel Knights where you had guys like the Punisher uh, cursing and actually fucking prostitutes and killing people, like, you know, which was kind of a big deal and dropping F-bombs. Um, you had, like, ultimate lines of, like, a relaunch of Millennial, uh, like, line. And then you had books you know, like uh, IDW, publishers like IDW, that had pretty cool licenses with some horror companies. Mm. And, you know, my understanding was when I had to get this book, it wasn't just for the art. But it was what they were going to do with the story was was never done before in a vampire movie or a horror movie. And that was incorporate technology as a critical component of the book, which they did not do in the movie. Um, I don't know. Have you read the comic? I have not. And uh, honestly, there's a huge, huge disconnect here. And this is pretty much the only disconnect. And it's very, very important. The comic book was predicated on the vampires using the internet to create this um to not only find barrow alaska but to organize 
you actually got to read emails in the text of the comic books from one vampire to another. Their vampires were very modern. They were like they were almost punk rockish, you know, like they were organized by a very young, hip, cool looking vampire who had like tattoos and piercings. And so basically here we have our society that's, you know, feeling so comfortable in the early, very early 2000s, post millennium, like post millennia, like, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, we all thought everything was going to crash. Right. Mm. We all thought we were going to lose electricity and planes are going to drop out of the sky. Well, that didn't happen. But so everybody felt comfortable now using the Internet. Well, the problem was what happens when, you know, things that we don't even believe exist are using it to kill us. And it was a huge plot point that they really, really I to this day, I don't understand why they didn't use instead of making the vampires ancient. They were modern and they were very hip and they used the Internet to kill people. And and to, to that end, I, I didn't really get the feeling looking at the vampires um, that they had kind of, and and that was one of the things that I was going to say is that there there was a distinction that this wasn't you know your your grandpa's vampire mm-hmm. story. It wasn't going to be guys in capes that lived in castles. They right. they felt very much more like a a force of nature, you know, happening upon a town like a, like a snowstorm hits the town hard and wipes out everything, you right. know, or you know, a tsunami or something, something to that effect. Just this, this wave of terror that hits this small town where they're cut off from the rest of the world and they don't have any of the, the creature comforts that we've, you know, come to uh, use as a crutch almost. And right, like the cell, well, like getting rid of the cell phones was very important plot plot device. Yeah, in and the beginning, very it important. Just, it 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 felt very much. Uh, where I feel like referencing the thing uh, just because it's, you know, it's in the snow and, right. you know, it's cut off from everything is an obvious, but it, that that claustrophobia really sinks itself in. And, and it is an added element that I think is very necessary in the, the overall film. Uh, but again, going back to the vampires, you know, there, there have been kind of for the longest time you know kind of two different schools of vampires there's the really beautiful vampires where they're all you know seductive and they drink blood and wine glasses and they have these underground clubs and everything's sexy very much like underworld or you know interview with the vampire and you know blade and all this bullshit And, and then there's the the monster vampires uh, where they look more like Nosferatu, and right. you know they they have more of a creature quality to them. And well, they can't I, blend. They can't blend in out in the open. Yeah, and I felt like that this this particular breed of vampire was a bit of a hybrid of those two elements. And I think that you know as far as uh, the casting of the lead vampire, it just it's pretty fucking brilliant with Danny Houston who. Yeah. is just a fantastic actor and giving them their you know their own language to speak which was just like this weird series of clicks and you know it, it just that worked and it made them unique in that respect um, you know and also the the concept of vampires just running amok on a town is something that you know you would assume 
if you're a vampire, you want a fucking posse of vampires, and you just tear ass in, in a town. Uh, the, the idea of hiding from from humans didn't ever seem like it made sense to me. But where it's, you know, a lot of the times in these vampire movies, they're always kind of in fear of this persecution from, you know, uh, normal humans. And it's like, dude, you can fly... You can <laughs> you can absorb bullets and this and that and the other. Why are you acting afraid of of Gil who works at fucking Quiznos? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like that that shit doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. Uh, so this you know this horde of vampires, you know, cutting off these people from all of these things, uh, becoming aware of Barrel, Alaska, which I believe that the creator of the comic. Uh, actually got the idea to write the comic because he had heard about this town and immediately the first thing he thought was vampires is yeah. you know just it's it's again you know it, it really kind of sets this precedent for what you're going to watch which it feels much more less like your traditional vampire film more like a western like a siege film like um Rio Bravo or even uh, to go a little bit more current, Assault on Precinct 13. Um, it, it feels very much like that, where you know this this force is coming on to this town, and it's it's up to these you know this small group of people to fend them off and survive, and they have to become creative, and it just that's kind of the things that work. Uh, some of the some of the moments or things that I particularly enjoyed was the cast for the most part. Uh, ben Foster is easily one of my favorite actors. I feel like he would have been better served playing the lead role as opposed to Josh Hartnett, who I cannot fucking stand. <laughs> yeah, he's tar he's a pretty bad actor. He he's the worst part of this whole fucking movie. And he's uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, uh, God damn it. Uh, Brolin. Josh oh, Brolin. Uh, yeah, Josh Brolin. He's like the Kmart Josh Brolin. <laughs> like, in all of the wrong ways. Like, you, you, you get the look and the, the square-jawed hero thing, but as soon as he opens his mouth, it's just like, oh, why? <laughs> yeah, he's, why he's just not good. Yeah. And, uh, Mark Boone Jr., who's, you know, just fantastic, uh, mm. was in Sons of Anarchy, just, he's also, again, very much a character, you know, and he seemed like he fit in that world where Josh Hartnett just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, they, <laughs> well, he was, well, from someone who was a fan of the books, he was terribly cast. Uh, Eben and Stella from the books were not that, I mean, even if they were that young, let's say, um, they were not, you know, you're not going to find people that look like that that live in Barrow, Alaska. Yeah. And, you're just not. And uh, I, I also, uh, just kind of doing my research, uh, know that another difference between the movie and the comic is mm -hmm. that they were married in the comic, where in the movie they're separated. And there's that uncomfortability that exists there because of that. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it was 
I, that was like right off the bat I was a little bit like hmm now I'm, I'm concerned you know because he is such a wooden actor um, and he's not gotten any better quite frankly in, in 2017 but um, th- he was poorly cast I understand that it was a 30 million dollar budget they had to cast somebody they had to um, get a name they had to get somebody that people might recognize and he's really the only person that that would be the chick uh, escapes me I don't think she's anybody who's panned out to be anything special and Ben Foster at the time um, who I think did some things on TV he was on an HBO show for a little bit and then he went to Broadway nobody knew that he was this sort of you know incredible character actor um, I don't know when Al- Alpha Dog I think came out around that time yeah I think it was right around the same thinking. time yeah. so Ben Foster small role but incredible role I mean that character is very important he's from the book the dialogue is from the book he's basically the Renfield you know he's basically you know the He's how the vampires, you know, since they can't do a lot of shit themselves, mm. he's he's the guy who stole the phones. You know what I mean? Who you know burned all the phones and stole them. And uh, he's you know he's dying to get made. Yeah, and, uh, you need that character. The the relationship that he has with the lead vampires is very much Renfield, but yeah, it's totally Renfield. In the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> and the the payoff, you know, when he, you know, he Hartnett goes back in there and he sees him just crying and he's like, they wouldn't take me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, another thing, too, like, I knew Ben Foster from um, Six Feet Under. Okay. Which was like the HBO show, like the late night. He was a boyfriend on the show who was very sort of effeminate and, you know, he was kind of a pushover and then I saw him in something else, and then I think he ended up in the, the X Men. He had a small role as Angel. Yeah. In uh, in the Last Stand, so I didn't know that Ben Foster had these kind of fucking chops. And, and see, then I, I yeah. know him from Alpha Dog, Three Ten to Yuma. Well, you know, that's that's all after the fact. Exactly. Like again, I I just saw this movie, so I see him. And I'm like, fucking a, you know, they've got somebody quality. I also see Manu Bennett, who I think is just terrific. I don't know how you feel about Manu Bennett, but I loved him in Spartacus. I loved him yeah. as Deathstroke. You know, like, dude fucking rules. So, right. again, I thought, you know, you're going to use him more. Nope. <laughs> nope. Well, also, you have to remember, it's a small, like, from a plot perspective, the town is very small. So you can only have, you're going to have a certain amount of characters. You know, the tension is literally going to be, can the sheriff who's supposed to save people in the town, can he help take his town back? So everybody else is a role player except for the sheriff and uh, Stella. Mm. You know, like outside of that, his his chick. You know, everybody else is sort of disposable. You know, um, what does he have? Like they gave him the younger brother and all that stuff. Yeah. Which... Yeah, so it was kind of a waste of... That we didn't need that. You know, it would have been enough to just have the sheriff be like, I have to save this town. I'm responsible for all these people's lives. Uh, uh, you know, um... It would have been a very different film had they went somebody older, I think. It should have. There's no way a town like that has a young person as a sheriff. Uh, I'm sheriff telling you, Brolin, portly, if you would have yeah, replaced Brolin's him with Brolin, different movie. Totally well, different Brolin movie. also is a big, tough guy, and Hartnett is not. Yeah. So I think we were not so... And I think, you know, I mean, God only knows, but if you really look at the movie aesthetically, 
I think Hartnett being sort of the pretty face guy that everybody in the town likes, who's a little young, who doesn't really have much to do, but everybody likes him. I get that. That's fine. Brolin is kind of a bigger, tougher. I mean, he is now at least. He's a big, tough guy. Josh Brolin looks like kind a of surly. Yeah, like he looks like he can handle you. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to fucking back down from anybody. And maybe they didn't want that obviousness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. Well, here's the sheriff, and he's six one, and he's like a big, tough guy, and da 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 da. And he's going to do tough guy stuff. Hartnett looks like you know you could kick his ass. You could t- you could punch him in the face and take his gun from him. Yeah, and that's you know? why he has Manu as his fucking his heavy essentially. Right. And right, right, exactly. You know, uh, again, uh, something that we haven't talked about yet, but I think we fucking definitely should be talking about is the violence in this film. Yeah. The, the level of violence is just off the fucking chain. It's the, an R. It's a real R-rated horror movie. The 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 scene with the little girl vampire. Where they fucking pick her up and <laughs> fucking chop her goddamn head up. Yeah. It's just like, whoa! Because you think that they're gonna like squeam away from it, but no, they, they fucking show it. And, uh, pretty much all of the de- de- decapitations in this movie were fucking next level. Like Manu Bennett's, uh, when he's just screaming in it as he's getting his head hacked off. It's, right. it's fucking a thing of beauty. Uh, yeah. again, the, the special effects department, and I hate the term practical effects. I don't know how you feel about it, but, yeah. um, uh, just that's, you know, when did, when did special effects not be special anymore? You know, because right. there's computer effects now, they're, they're not as special, they're just practical. It doesn't make sense to me, and I just, I don't like it. Um, so, <laughs> I always call them special effects. And, uh, yeah, the, well, this, the, well, the, well, the FX in this were great. I, I have no issue with the kill scenes. I thought they um, they were pretty brutal. I mean, there were some great scenes, literally, like where they're just eating motherfuckers in the snow. I mean, they're just eating people in the snow, and it's just like you know, and you they didn't shy away from violence. That's for damn sure. No one could say, you know, even people who are because the movie is sort of a middle of the road with people. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the best reviewed movie and it's not the terrible. It definitely made money. I think it made about seventy five million domestic and it cost about thirty to make. So it's a money maker. It's an absolute money maker, no doubt. I think it had a big opening, but um, it's also one of those movies I think that uh, people that it created more of an interest in the, the storyline. You know, so if I'm someone who didn't read the book, I'm sure there's a very good majority of people who went back and got that book. You know. Or who wanted to know more about that? Or who wanted to even know, is that even actually true? Is there a town like that in Alaska where it's like, you know, you're not allowed to have booze and, you know, it's you know for 30 days it's one long night. You know what I mean? It created some interest there. And this was an, to that this point, was an R-rated movies like Insomnia. And there was also that episode of Tales from the Crypt where they actually did this. And uh, that absolutely predated the comic and everything. And because that was mid-late 90s. When that episode came out. Well, originally, uh, looking at the the history of this, originally it was supposed to be a film and no one wanted the movie. Mm. That's why they ended up making it a graphic novel in 2002. They couldn't sell the movie in 2002. And it wasn't until the book, which I think the art, if, if, if anybody's curious, I really think you should pick up the book because it's a very, very... It's not a very traditional looking comic book at all. Ben Smith, uh, Ben Templesmith's covers and his colors and um, you know, it's just not, it's not typical. It's a very different looking kind of comic. The covers are gorgeous, like they're works of art. 
um, and the spin-off covers were great too. It, it created an interest there. But one of the things um, I'll say about the uh, the movie that I really, really, really did like was that a lot of times I feel like horror movies, uh, even R-rated horror movies, hold back. And I don't feel like this held back at all. Mm-hmm. Like th- this was a bloodbath movie. And and I'd also go so far as to say that this film would not have been made if it weren't for films like uh, 28 Days Later and mm-hmm. the Dawn of the Dead remake being as you know financially ses- successful as they were. R R-rated R-rated harmony. Yeah, because they it's literally riding that wave. And in watching the film, you feel kind of the motifs that were used in those films being you know executed in this. But the the use of you know computer CGI um, is just an accentuation of things that are already be, being done on set, which I think really takes it to that next level, which you know allows you visually to kind of suspend that disbelief, and mm-hmm. you know you're you're allowed to see more of what you wouldn't be able to see were it just you know, like a CGI, like CGI explosions look like dog shit. Mm -hmm. Lighting an actual fire in a town and doing a crane over where you're able to go through the town and you can add levels to it and add, you know, gore and grew. Uh, but you see the actual stuff that you're focusing on is actually happening. And that's, that there's the one shot that I just, I fucking love where it's looking over the town almost like it's in a, inside of a snow globe and you're seeing the vampires run around and just grab people and the blood kind of spread the snow and it yeah in the snow right the blood in the snow it just visually it's it's a terrific movie um there's there's a place where i have a bit of a disconnect on it uh where you know the the ultimately where they go at the end of the movie where he you know, injects himself with with the strain and becomes a vampire to fight the vampires. Like, all of that was just unnecessary. Well, and that's it, right out of the comic. It, it, I, I was not a fan of that at all. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of corny. Um, but overall, and I, and I feel like this is as good a place as any to get into Reapers for the movie, um, because we could literally say... You know, oh yeah, it's really fucking violent, it's cool and all this. But I think that this is as good a place as any to weigh in on the film overall with our Reapers. Now, this is something new that wasn't here the last time you were on. Uh, the Reaper system is basically a star system. Zero being the lowest, five being the highest. Where do you land as far as Reapers are concerned for 30 days of night? I, I would say it's a solid three, and I'll tell you why. Um, the effects, 100%. The, the effects totally, totally worked for me. I found the bright vampires to look incredibly, like, believable, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't make it silly. The, the murder scenes were so in line with a brutal R-rated horror movie. Um, so that worked for me. So those, those things, like, like I said, I often find a lot of R-rated horror movies give you those one or two scenes that everybody goes, ooh. This movie gave you a lot. So the reason why I give it a three is because of the source material I'm such a fan of. Um, I would have maybe said like a two and a half, but I'm going to say three only because I actually thought, all in all, 
it did it did not it was not a grave injustice to this amazing graphic novel that so many people like. I thought it was a nice take on it, and it was fairly accurate. I would say, you know, it was about seventy five percent accurate to the story. Where would you put it? Uh, I'm actually going to go in with the two point five. Um, this like for everything that you said, and you're absolutely right as far as you know the violence and everything, and and that's fantastic. But the strength of a story is in its lead characters, and right. your your concern with whether they live or they die. I wanted Josh Hartnett dead 20 minutes into the movie. <laughs> 20 minutes into the fucking movie. And then when he does die, again, spoiler alert, uh, it's so deflating. It's right. it's like the, the most comically bad ending for a fucking pretty decent fucking horror movie. Right. Uh, you know, I, I could have done without, like, the last third of that film. That that, wow. l- that last fucking arc, uh, it just it did not sit well with me. I yeah, I think that... I think two two and a half. I think you're right. I I don't think it should. Yeah, I think you kind of won me over there because again, it's pat. It's a good. It's good. Yeah, the, the lead up, the first act is terrific. Yeah, uh, that second act is again spot on, almost damn near flawless. But I, right. I just I don't care enough about the lead actors, their relationship how it's in trouble, like, you didn't need to put that in there, because it, it ultimately, you know, they're going to have to worry about each other at some point, and right. you don't need that confliction that, like, that was unnecessary, it it didn't need to be there. Um, also, not making the characters likable is, is a hard thing for me, it's a hard sell, it's just like, with wrestling, with baby faces, you know, right. they there's this mindset that baby faces can't have to be unfallible, and right. and so they have to you know hug the the babies and you know shake Clap hands and, and right, right. you know all of that shit and it, that doesn't work. And right. I you know there had to have been a better way that they could have created conflict for those people, and they could have been able to make me care about the sheriff in his town before anything happened. But they didn't do that. They were too adamant on getting to this orgy of gore which i respect i respect an orgy of gore like like the next guy but i have to care about you know the people that are being murdered before i can really be affected by watching them get murdered well here's something very interesting that i did not know that i just found out um i was curious about because you and i were talking about the tone of it and r and being an r-rated horror movie that year 2007 is a fucking magic year for cinema horror r-rated movies and i am not even the least bit joking when i tell you what came out that year we're talking about the mist we're talking about wreck 28 weeks later the the tarantino death proof um and uh what you call it movies planet terror planet planet yeah, terror front, front yeah saw four frontiers hostile Two, the halloween reboot um and then even to VHS though I mean th- to, to VHS even to the gr- the Jack Ketchum Girl Next Door uh, Borderlands uh, Trick or Treat nice. I mean the Hills Have Eyes sequel the Poughkeepsie Tapes uh, Captivity P2 this was a big oh dude Teeth Mother of Tears Funny Games and Inside what did you think of Mother of Tears before we start getting out of here eh, not my thing 
You're telling me in a year where the Halloween reboot, which again, not everybody's cup of tea, but it's a, it was a big deal. Sure. But it was a big deal. Yeah. It was a bit, the Tarantino double feature, Grindhouse double feature, Inside, uh, Teeth, Frontiers, Captivity, the Poughkeepsie tapes, the Hills Have Eyes sequel, which I always thought is grossly underrated. Yeah. Trick or, tr- trick or Treat, The Best Messengers, movie. Aliens vs. Predator, um, Saw 4, uh, the Hostel sequel, again, I felt grossly uh, underrated. I the thought, one with all the chicks in it. I, I, you know, the, the, the fucking uh, Bloodbat scene is a thing of magic to oh, me. The bad, oh, dude, Wreck, the original Wreck. Uh, you know what I mean? I feel like one of these days I'm going to get around to uh, doing a, a fucking... What did, what did they call it? Uh, torture porn? I think oh, I'm gonna, torture one, of these, one of these months I'm going to do a torture porn month. And dude, 20, 28 weeks later. What a huge year for, for horror sequels, too. Yeah. 28 weeks later was great. I thought it was fucking awesome. You had the, a Saw in there, a Hostel sequel in there. I fucking hate the Saw movies. I'm sorry. I, well, I'm not a huge Saw guy, but I'm saying these were very big years. Like, yeah. this was not, you know, this movie came out in a sea of movies. And even I Am Legend, not a big fan. I kind of got what they were trying to do with it. I'm not a huge fan. Of course, I went and saw it in theaters because I'm a big fan of the book. Yeah. But this was a big year for scary movies. We had... You know, franchises that were doing well. We had a reboot of, of a movie that nobody ever thought would get remade. We had Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez basically make two independent movies and put them together for the first, like no one's ever done that in modern, like in this side of the millennium. Yeah. Put two different movies together. I saw that uh, on Good Friday. Those movies with my brother. We went and saw them on Good Friday. Sat in a movie theater all day watching. You know, so it was a good year. Yeah, uh, the 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 Grindhouse movies were that was a special thing. It was, it wasn't, you know, it was different than everything else that had been happening at that time. I mean, you still, you, you're off the hills of things like Sin City, but everything that they did with it, you know, where they, I, I, you know what, I'm going to keep my opinion on Grindhouse to myself for now, because I think I am going to cover those. (laughs) Dude, you know who you should do that with is, uh, Mike, my brother, my brother will sit there and talk to you all day about that. He is a huge, huge fan of Grindhouse movies. Um, so, like, you know, that was a big deal. It was a big day in the theater for us. We had a, That was a really fun experience. But I saw 30 Days of Night in the theater. Um, I saw a lot of those movies in the theater, you know, uh, in 2007. Yeah. I saw almost all of those movies. I, I, I you know, I, um, I don't think I saw Halloween. I don't think I saw Halloween in the theater. I, I think I was a little – I was balking. I was balking on it. But um, I think 30 Days of Night for people who've never seen it um, – it's not a traditional vampire movie. It's not a it's not a um, run of the mill horror movie. It has it's basically big on a plot. It's big on the plot the plot idea, and it's got great special effects. And if you're if you're like me and always feel like the underwhelmed with a lot of R rated films and horror, you will not feel like this was un- they did not undersell you on the gore or the violence of this movie. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's kind of magic in the violence. But uh, other than that, it's, it's, you know, it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't click for me, uh, as far as a story. Um, I, I really dug the vampires. I really dug the violence. I could not stand the cast that I was supposed to care about. And that to me is the, the big, you know, the big decider of where I land. Now, now, before we wrap up, I have to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Are you more, 
Is this more of a performance issue or plot issue? It's, it's kind of a combination of the two. Right. I think that with a better performer, the plot would have been conveyed better. Uh, but I also feel like they were they were very quick to jump into it, and right. I, you know, a little bit of foreplay it never hurt nobody. Right. You know. Well, they well they had a lot you, of killing. They had a lot of killing to get to. You did, and you know, but when you go in dry, everybody's right. going to be sore, and and that's the thing is you know, lead into it. I I had mentioned I had referenced the thing. The thing, fucking, you lead into it. You care about the characters before shit starts going down. Like you, you get a, you get an inkling of the fact that shit's about to start going down almost immediately. You know, but you're you're taken on a journey with the characters to where you give a shit about the characters. And I feel like there's too much of this attention deficit disorder. When it comes to storylines and plots and, and, and story progression. And it really makes the overall package suffer. And you can have, you know, buckets of blood. But if you have no substance, you'll just appreciate the buckets of blood. And that's, right. that's my biggest problem with this movie is that there's, there's no substance. And, you know, you can tell that there's a world of character that exists. You know, that we're not seeing, you know, it's underneath all of, you know, this, you know, bells and whistles and, and pretty imagery, but there's no story progression, there's no character development, and that's ultimately what hurts the film to me. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know if we're going to be around for it, but I have a feeling they will remake this and make this a little bit more of a, of, of a, of a drama. You know what I mean? Like, it'll... It'll get remade in 15 years, and it'll be more dramatic and less gory. And I'd be the, curious. The to turnover see rate of these movies now—I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the next five years. Yeah, they might want to reboot it I because mean, it is a great about, plot. You think about the fucking Halloween franchises. Yeah, just getting—it's getting, getting yeah. rebooted yet again. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, never say never. Is basically <laughs> where, where I stand with that. But plugs, my man. Where can people find you? Well, uh, I am a uh, I am a, uh, a a cub reporter on the wrestling soup. <laughs> um, you have a little not... newsy cap. <laughs> yeah, I you know I'm still I still I'm still Jimmy Olsen. You oh know? shit! I feel like I feel like I'm still Jimmy. Ol- I got the problem is I got two Supermans, so I don't really you know. Uh, but I uh, I'm, I'm obviously on a lot more now than I used to be, and I also have a solo show for our donors uh, called Global Balding, which is uh, almost basically almost an all question show at this point. Nice. Um, we're going to be spinning out uh, Geek Soup, um, which is going to be only uh, – we're going to do, I think, once a month. It's literally going to be like a two-hour block with revolving guests where we just talk about comic books for two hours. Like literally that's it. We, we, will, we will only talk about comic books. And then um, I'm also going to be doing uh, some other stuff. I'm going to be doing on a – I'm doing a little what they call the Draper Holiday Tour. I'm going to try to squeeze in uh, a whole bunch of podcasts – with uh, some of our friends, you know, that do uh, wrestling podcasts uh, between now and the end of the year. So I'm going to try to squeeze in about a half a dozen of those between uh, the holidays, if not more. And I'm also going to be filling in with my brother and his uh, – my many brothers. But my brother, Kevin Castle and Don Tony, I'm going to be filling in a very ho- special holiday show uh, the week of Thanksgiving. 
should so, hop on that Necromaniacs podcast, too. I know. You know, Mike and Mike, um, my brother Mike, and then Mike Hill, who is uh, a singer and songwriter in a fantastic metal band called Tombs, who is a very well-known traveling uh, metal band. Um, they have a show called Necromaniacs. Uh, they're actually doing a retrospective on it, I think, uh, uh, talking about it. Fucking cool, man. Um, if you guys are here and you this is your first episode, you've never heard the show before, but you've enjoyed what you've heard and you want to hear some more, you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash creature pod, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at creature pod. Uh, definitely keeping the keep the eyes on the ground, ears to the grindstone, whatever the cliche expression is. Um, listen out for what we've got coming because we've got a lot of things uh, coming up. Also, we're going to keep this vampire Thanksgiving thing rolling with our next film, a film I'm really, really fucking excited to talk about um, because I just I think it's all kinds of special. I'm talking about The Hunger. So if mm. you haven't seen The Hunger... Go out of your way to watch it because we're gonna fucking spoil the shit out. Of it. <laughs> dude, um, dude, you may you may need to text my brother when we get offline because he loves that movie. Yeah, I I fucking adore that movie, dude. So, um, <laughs> oh, that's so great. But you know, definitely, if you haven't seen it, go out of your way, fucking rent it. It's like two bucks on Amazon to rent. Uh, yeah. Go watch it, and next week we will. Well, next episode we will be discussing the hunger. But that's going to do it for us over here on Creature Features. So, for John Draper and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and iTunes. Listen with someone you trust. <laughs>